Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time to take your body care routine to the next level. Introducing Osea's bestseller body care set, the perfect companion for your summer travels. This four-piece kit transforms dry skin to silky, soft, and glowing. It features travel sizes of Osea's best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil and Body Butter, clinically proven to improve skin elasticity, along with their anti-aging body balm and salts-of-the-earth body scrub. And to top it off, it's packed in a vegan leather bag, making it a must-have for all your summer adventures. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat yourself to glowing, healthy skin this summer with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, you can get the best seller's body care set valued at $78 for 33% off. Use code SUMMER to save an additional 10%. That's an additional 10% off at OCEAMalibu.com code SUMMER. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The shark bait has such teeth there. And it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe. And it keeps it out of sight. You know when that shark bite. Welcome everybody to the latest edition of Macklin's Take. I just gave you two or three seconds there just to soak in the ambiance at the start of this episode because we're in the we're in the Vaults pub underneath Tower Bridge looking across the Thames at the Tower of London. And we're here because this is the afternoon or this was the afternoon. That'll be the right tense to use by the time you listen to this podcast of the Dillian White Oscar Rivas Open workouts which have been taking place just down the road and it's a glorious afternoon it really is and yet another unusual location for an episode of Macklin's take and the man who joins us today is somebody who was featured in a probably 10-15 minute section of John Pegg's yeah. podcast the one we did with John Pegg me and Matt a few weeks ago Matt Macklin with me as, as always myself yeah. Andy Clark and it just kind of snowballed because he was such a good example of a couple of the things that we were talking about. He's a much-loved fighter in boxing circles, prize fighter legend, former Southern Area champion, former Peter Sports Personality of the Year, murderous puncher, as Matt Macklin <laughs> can attest to from their sparring battles, yeah. is Cello Renda. Cello, thanks very much for coming in today. It's great to see you. And I know that when I alerted your attention to the fact that John and Matt had spoken about you at yeah. length a few weeks ago 
um, you found that very entertaining. And at that point, we realised we just had to get you on because yeah. it's such an, an unusual career that you've had. We, we talked that day about the need for backing for fighters, the need for advice and how difficult it is in the early stages. And, and your kind of career was as difficult as, as anybody's. But before we get into all of that, let's just have a quick, quick conversation between the two of you. Mm. The sparring, the sparring, yeah. gentlemen. It sounded, yeah. it sounded absolutely brutal. Yeah, well, I, 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 I sparred several, men, uh, yeah. spar- I sparred cello several times. Um, yeah, yeah. I think the first time he came up to Manchester, I was training yeah. with Billy Graham. Yeah. Um, I can't even remember how that came about, but he, I think Brian Peters must have got, was looking for a sparring partner for me, and cello came up. And I remember thinking, <laughs> first round, how hard he is, you know what I mean? He caught, you know, and really looked, and I'll say this is it, you know, trying to take my head off. Like he was, and, and, and I realized nothing personal, that's just the way Cello sparred. He didn't know any other way. He was, if, he was, if he was sparring Mike Tyson, he'd try and take his head off. If he was sparring a newborn baby, he'd try and take his head off. You know, he just literally tried to kill you with every shot. It was exceptionally heavy handed. So he was, you know, a ferocious puncher. And, uh, I suppose that made me spar really hard too yeah, because yeah. it was uh, again nothing personal but it was uh, it was my me sparring so hard was really a case of uh, that was my defence mm. you know in, in terms of I wasn't the slickest anyway so my uh, in order to kind of out of a necessity of self-preservation <laughs> I had to yeah. I had to basically contain Jello by you know, going pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, pretty yeah, sure you so. can yeah, testify yeah. to. I'll, I'll stay up to everyone. First and foremost, thanks very much, guys, for having me down today. Um, yeah, going back to our spars, I remember I was sparring Joe. Um, I think he was getting ready for your British title shot uh, against Wayne Alcott. I remember you had, I got there just to spar you. I thought, yeah, great, okay, I'll spar you. Like, I remember, I still say to this day, you're, you're more than my hardest sparring partner I've ever been there in with. I've been in with some top, top guys. He's definitely one of the best sparring partners I've been in with and one of the heavy hitters I've been in with. You know, just remember just sparring up there with you. You know, remember you, you taught me what it was what it, what fainting can what can do what it can do. I remember you you, you was fainting, you weren't even hitting me, you was fainting. You took so much out of me, I was like, what? He's not hitting me, I'm already I'm already knackered. And, and that learnt me the, 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 the game of fainting, how much how much you can you I didn't want to dare open out to him because I knew he could hit pretty hard. Um, and then that's one spar we had and then I ended up sparring you again for your European title fight and you, you looked really in, in like in murderous fashion it was like you wanted to try and take me head off that sort of thing like I remember when he hit me with a body shot and on my day he took everything out of me I remember I had to go up the next week to spar you again and like oh god I can't go up there again he's just done my ribbing I was like and I, was, oh, and I had a shot for the British title limit against Sam Orton on your undercard of your, of your European title fight I thought to myself, I can't say to him, I can't go up there. I didn't want him to think I was scared of him. And another thing, I didn't want him thinking, you know, that, you know, I've let him down. I didn't want to let you down. So I went and remember, went up there, sparred you, and you hit me into the body. I was like, oh no, he's got me in the body. And I didn't dare, didn't dare let my hands go. I thought, oh no, he's going to hit me to the body. I think you knew you hurt me to the body. And then he tried to attack me to the body. And then at the end of the spar, like, my rib was broken. And I had a fight for the British title a week later, two weeks later. I remember going into the fight thinking, bloody hell, I'm rib broken. What do I do? Do I pull out this fight or what? And good job I didn't because I ended up beating him and knocking him out in, in two rounds. Um, but I remember you looked after me. I remember you took me out for meals. Um, you took me out for, for lunch. I remember I think to myself, he's got a mate. Wait, is he eating all this food? What's he doing? 
know, he's eating all his food. I'm thinking, blah, blah, blah. I remember last time I was making weight as well for, for my fight. I'm now I'm, I'm starving, and you're eating all this food. What are you doing? I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And he opened my eyes out, and I was doing it the proper way, and I was doing it the wrong way. Well, what's so interesting about your career, and I only learned this when we were sat next to each other at the London Sports Awards yeah. a, a few weeks ago. Myself and Cello are both um, very much involved. He's a head coach, actually, for Boxing Futures, a, yeah. a, a charity which we'll talk about later on. And, and you said to me, oh, I never had an amateur background, you know. No. I, I turned professional without any amateur background and without even having a trainer and I just I've never ever heard of that before I've heard of fighters I was chatting to one earlier Fabio Wardley who came through white collar um, not too far from where you are actually and that happens every now and again Mm. but to turn professional off the back of a few street fights Mm. because let's be honest that's Mm. that's, That's that that was your pugilistic background at that point on the cobbles I was telling no it's It's madness Matt really yeah it's crazy yeah Uh, you know, absolutely. You know, but it's. Uh, I was. On, I was only saying this earlier. We were talking about, I think, uh, with Anna about uh, Fabio Wardley. You know, coming in through the white collar route. We're saying yeah. that everyone's everyone's story in boxing is different, and that's why we love doing these podcasts. Yeah. We just yeah. it's, everyone's got a story, and, and everyone's different. You know, you've got the the amateur pedigree, the the, the Olympians. You got the guys who have, you know come through the Brendan Ingle school turn pro 18 yeah. but they've, they've got a good schooling you know they've mm. been in the gym since they were 10 they mm. might not have come through the traditional amateur mm. system but they've still got a good schooling they've been you know taught they've got and uh, then you've got guys who just come in through the white collar or you know yeah. on license so it's it's you know I, I didn't I knew you had a very minimal amateur uh, experience I didn't know realise that you didn't have any no. I actually remember seeing your fight with a guy called uh, Ricardo Sams. Yeah. I think it was Ricardo's debut. Was it yours? Sam, don't know. No, my debut, Ricardo Sams' debut. Yeah. Doncaster, yeah. <laughs> I remember Ricardo was a good kid. Gus yeah. when he was. I mean, he must have been thinking, "What the hell?" Yeah. You know, we got hit with a big shot down, yeah. and it's like yeah. talk about a baptism of fire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and, yeah, and that's true. And I think, you know, you, it, this is why. You know, I'm, it's crucial, really. Yeah. Um, when you're a man, you're managing a fighter, or you're training a fighter, or you know, promoting whatever, you've got to do your due diligence, and you've mm. got to sometimes cross reference, and you've got to look deeper because sometimes you can just look at someone's record. Yeah, I think, oh yeah, blah blah, yeah, that'd be okay. I've done it. You yeah, know what I mean, and then yeah, you, yeah. When, it, when when you when it, you see the upset, or you yeah. see nearly an upset, or certainly you see a performance yeah, yeah. that you did not see coming, a fight yeah. being so hard that it shocked you. But then afterwards, you do the due diligence yeah, that you yeah. should have done beforehand, Before, and then you realise, yeah. oh. Actually, yeah, that yeah. was obvious. Yeah, yeah, you want know, to yeah. just look a bit deeper and 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 and, 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 mm. and you know delve a bit deeper into it. Then, then I would have uh, I would have known that. So mm. someone like yourself, you know, all of a sudden you look at that record. Once you were say, I don't know, after ten and zero or six yeah. and whatever you were, if someone looked at that and thought, mm, "What well, a few good performances there? He's got a knockout there. Yeah, he lost there, but yeah. he can obviously punch." And then mm. they kind of try and bring around and do a bit of a research on to find out. Well, he never had any amateur fights, yeah, right. so now you're thinking, "Well." Ooh, Really, I don't know a lot about this guy. He might just be one of these freak, yeah. uh, you know, talented guys, quick learners, mm. and a, a ferocious yeah. puncher, which you definitely were. Yeah. You know, and, and, and all of a sudden, I, I mean, I think that at, at some st- at one stage in your career, you were certainly a bit of a king of the Hoonies, him club. Like, yeah, certainly, if I was managing a fighter, I'd have been like, nah, don't yeah. need him. Not a chance. What, do you, what are we going to fight him for? Yeah. And, I, and I fought a few of those, by the way. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Gihard. Ayatovich, he was one yeah. of them. Why would you fight him? But yeah, I fought yeah. him 
because I was stupid. <laughs> I was too. I was too proud. Too you know, proud, I was too yeah. proud to turn. When someone kind of put it to me, you know, yeah, I didn't want to turn yeah. down the fight. I was too yeah. proud to turn the fight down. So, but really, mm. that should have been turned down because there was nothing to gain. Really, yeah, and so much it, to yeah. lose, and such a dangerous fighter. And you know, you fell into that category. Yeah. You were like, you were a big, big puncher. You had been stopped, beaten, and yeah. stopped. And so, you know, they beat you. So what? Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, you 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 were very, very dangerous. Yeah. So, if I was managing a kid and they were a middleweight, super middleweight, and they're like, nah, nah, that, that, that fight's not happening. Yeah. It was, you know, it didn't stack yeah. up. So, what happened? Just take us through it. Why did you decide to turn pro as a boxer? And how did you go about it? How did you get licensed? How did you find so, a manager? How did you make sense of it all? Because it's a mad, mad business. Mad. Say that again. So basically, um, obviously, I was in, I was in and out of um, street fights um, growing up. Not not that I was looking for it; it just it found me for some reason. And then I started getting my reputation, and people knew not to mess with me. And then what happened was then is um, I turned pro at age of eighteen. Um, I found it hard at first to get my license because you know they um, thought you know I'm inexperienced. I'm only eighteen years of age. You know, go amateur sort of thing. And then what happened? Day boy Green came down. So like, see, watch me spar, seeing whether I was good enough to to turn pro. He come down, I look at me, said, "You're good enough." And I turned pro at the age of 18. I think I was only 19. And then I I got myself in trouble. I got I got myself I got into a fight uptown when I was um, about 18. I was I ended up knocking out two rugby players um, on a night out. I was quite quite drunk actually, to be fair. And then we were getting arrested and, and like put in a police cell. And then I woke up the next day like. Do you want a solicitor? I said, no, nah, I don't want a solicitor. No, nah, I've done nothing wrong. What's the matter? And I remember sitting in, in the room, like, and I played back the CCTV camera. I don't remember watching and thinking, what the hell was that? I remember seeing me knocking out these two lads. What? And I was like, wow, I can seriously get myself in trouble. And I, I could have gone to, nearly went to prison. I ended up getting a criminal record. And ended up doing, like, 600, 600 hours community service. And that's what changed my life. And I thought, you know what? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn professional. And earn some money out of the game, and knock people out and get paid. And then, um, so I turned pro. But you'd done some boxing. You'd been in boxing gyms. You might not have had an amateur record, but no. please tell me you'd done some boxing. So you pulled on some walked, gloves and been yeah. in the ring at least. So I walked into gym at the age of fifteen. So in and out, once a week, twice a week for a couple of years. And then when I did turn eighteen, I was like, I've got to change my life around, man. So then I, I turned professional at the age of eighteen. And then I was meant to have my, my debut in Peterborough, but my, my, my opponent never turned up. So I was, I was all wrapped up, ready to rock and roll. Um, gloved up and everything, but my opponent never turned up. So then I ended up not having a fight. And then my, at the time, my manager got me a fight in Hull against a former kickboxing world champion, um, unbeaten as a fighter, 7-0, and and a stone heavier than me. Um, I remember going out in the... I remember going in, in, in Hull, it was... When we get into the venue and like the British Board of Control, like inspector was there going, "You can't fight this lad. No, he's a stone heavy than you. He's like, too experienced than you." I went, "Nah, it's okay. I'll fight. What's the problem?" And let me speak to your manager. Let me speak to your manager. When he's there, the manager goes, "No, he's okay. He'll say you're fine." Went, yeah, of course I'll fight. What's the problem? And then I'm getting the ring, and then um, I end up knocking him out in two rounds. And not only did I knock him out, I knocked him out out of the ring. Not only once, but three or four times. And remember, boxing news, but a big massive spread about me saying, "Wow." Like a, a Wayne Rooney type shock of, of the world sort of thing, like, and then, and then from then on, I got put in there with an Olympian, Joey Vegas. Um, I never knew nothing about the guy. Um, 
we can find never go back. It's like something out of a film, this, in a way, isn't it? Because somebody, it's like a Western, you know, the Western where you have somebody who nobody knows, who comes yeah. into town, there's no information on him, no background, because this is before every fight was on YouTube. And yeah. as you said, Matt, because he had no amateur career, nobody would know anything about him. No. And there would have been people in boxing looking at these results just thinking, all right, okay, so what, so what happened there? And opponents... Mm walking into the ring with him probably looking at him and thinking okay yeah good he's making his debut I'm 7-0 and this is exactly as it should be and then boom a couple yeah. of rounds later it's, it's all it's all over but, but he talks there about being put in with a 7-0 and fighter on this debut who was a stone yeah. heavier than him his, his manager should never have allowed that no. to happen Shello was badly managed you know what I mean he, you know, he was just slung in yeah. you know and uh, I think if he'd have been managed differently, he probably could have done a lot more. You know, he was. Um, I, mean, I, I definitely believe you know, I he uh, serious power, but yeah. I think he learned as as he went really. Yeah. And probably never. And it, and then what happened was he was probably in a position where. You know, he needed to kind of step back. Really, he ne- he needed to take a couple of steps back yeah. in order to move forward properly, yeah. and he needed to step back and, and and get some foundations, get some mm. schooling, learn. You know, but. But then, because of his the knockout wins, he was kind of up on a level already. So it was a difficult mm-hmm. situation, I suppose. And he was coming from somewhere like Peterborough, where they don't really do a lot of boxing. No, uh, weren't going to sell tickets in Birmingham yeah. or London, really. So yeah. it's like, you know, he, he fell into that category. Really, where he was like, where do you go with this yeah, kid? Yeah, what do you right. do with him? You know, without uh, backing off TV or a promoter that's prepared to invest in you, yeah. where, where do you go? He's not selling tickets really no. outside of Peterborough. Yeah. Not, people aren't doing shows in Peterborough, and he's also. <laughs> No one wants to fight him, you know, for that for that, the small money that are going round on those shows. Yeah. You know, he, he was a dangerous opponent; could really, you know, yeah. bang hard. So it was, a, it was, a, it was, um, it was an unenvious job, really. To because even now looking back, I'm thinking, well, what would you have done differently? How would you have managed him? How would you have steered him? And it, it's difficult because once you've got a couple of losses on your record, yeah. but you, 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 people know you're a hard fight. You've got a couple of losses, but you've also got a couple of big wins. Yes. So it's like, you know, someone moving forward then they're going to want a lot of money to fight you unless you're a big promoter that really believes in yeah. you and prepared to invest yeah. it's difficult to manoeuvre you forward mm. so what, what were those those early days when, when you got the win in, in, on, on debut I mean how how was the feeling because you would have walked in there not having sold a single ticket because you didn't have to yeah. everybody expecting you to get cleaned out yeah. and all of a sudden you know, people's jaws must have dropped when they see this kid win, and not just win because right from the start you just had this ridiculous punching power. I mean, the change in the room must have been crazy. Hey, hey, ki- hey, kids! Hey, everybody! Sitting here with a famous Slovenian philosopher. How are you doing, sir? I am uh, in hell, thank you. Are you uh, excited about something? I am excited about this latest uh, CIA-funded venture. A CIA venture? Yes. It's called the Desire and Capital Podcast. Oh, what is it about? I refuse your fascist question. Well, there you have it. Listen to the Desire and Capital Podcast, coming soon to a bourgeois platform near you. On your marks, get set, go! I expected to win, even though he was 7-0, and a stone heaven to me, former kickbox world champion. I went in knowing I was going to beat this kid. No matter, I didn't care. That's the mentality I had. I didn't care who he was and what he had done. So for me, it wasn't a shock. It was something I was expected to do. 
And I think because going from street fighting and knocking everyone out straight in the streets, I thought, yeah, everyone's like raving about it. I'm thinking, what's, what's, the, what's the big problem? What's the big deal? And I, 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 I knew I was going to do that. I knew I was going to do it. What's the know? Everyone's raving about it, but what's, I'm like, that's what I was expected to do. What did you get paid for that first fight? Eight hundred pound, I think, or something like that. Some, some, you know, that's what that's what they said I was going to get paid at the time. I don't know what the manager, you know, what he would have done. You know, he, I might have got two thousand pound, but manager might have gave me eight hundred quid. That's what I felt for that. With manager through through that. So, in terms of your boxing education, how did that progress as you turned professional? Because by that stage, I'd imagine you were all still also still working yeah. as well as boxing professionally, but. What we were talking about with John Pegg was that until you got to Eastside, nobody had really shown you anything. So at what point did you start to actually learn about boxing even? For me, it was like, when I got offered to spar, like people like Matlin and that, I was like, I jumped at the chance because I knew it was a great experience for me because I didn't box amateur. I got offered to fight Matthew, Matthew Barney in 24 hours notice. So yeah, he got offered to fight Tony Oki for the WU world title. I was like, yeah, I'll spar him. I got off to um, spark again Catley. Went off to, went off to, um, to Bristol going to spark again Catley and sleep on, in the, on the gym floor for like two or three days. These, these, these um, spars, um, I learned a lot from, which developed me as a fighter. Um, if I didn't have them spars, I probably wouldn't have been a fighter like I was. Um, but I, I just knew I, could, I, knew I, could, I knew I could just fight. You know, I knew, you know, I had that will and that desire. You know, I wasn't the most skillful of the fighters. But I knew I was. Um, I wanted it a lot. I wanted it. You know, I knew I had the power as well. With that kind of power, again, it was something that John was describing that mm. people would come to the gym and and uh, he might say to them, "You know, look, cello hits hard." Just mm. so you know, yeah, kind of thing. Because it's just sparring. We're working. You know, I'm not trying to pull a number on you here. Yeah. But he hits hard, and they would say, "Yeah, okay, mate. I, yeah. I, I, I've been hit hard before." Yeah, and then as soon as you land that first one all of a sudden it's, he yeah. said it's like getting an electric shock they're just thinking whoa what what happened there and you yeah. said exactly the same thing that yeah. the first time he landed on you Matt when you, when you sparred I mean it must be some kind of feeling to know that you have that at your disposal oh, and yeah. all, also when you know that the other person has no idea no no that's right it's like front of my career I think I had like 14, 15 knockouts from my own career people say oh, how do you do that I'm like I don't know it happens it happens so naturally you know what I mean so I was knocking guys out and hurting people. I was like, I didn't mean to do it. And that is when, you know, when I tried not trying to knock guys out, it never happened. But I was knocking guys out without meaning to do it. And I knew I had that natural power. Um, I knew I always had that. I never was the most skillful as fighters. So I never got taught anything. No one taught me to throw a jab. No one taught me to move left, right, forward and back. No one, no one taught me to fight on the inside. No one taught me anything. You no, know, I, I trained in the boxing gym, hit a bag a few times. And spar some people if I could, uh, and hit and get, and get some guys to give me some pads. And that was it. Never had you know. Let's go up there and see um, Matlin with, with the Gallagher's, you know, and spar. And I see I used to see him in the ring talking, chatting, and working out game plans. I never had any of that. None of that whatsoever. It's not me just trying to make it up. I didn't have any of that. You know, people say to me, though, who's the best? Who's the best fighter you've trained alongside? I say to them, there ain't any. So I train, but I train myself. I always train by myself, you know. I always believe in success breeds success, you know. When you see the Gallagher gyms and, you know, seeing all the fighters train alongside each other, you know, seeing them, you know, if I had that, you know, I would have been, I would have been in the element, you know, seeing them all work off, work off each other. I never had any of that. 
you know, hitting a bag, I'm on my own. It gets hard, push a bit more, but you've got someone working alongside you, push that extra harder. It makes you want to push that bit harder. And regular sparring partners, regular sparring week in, week out. I have none of that. You know, no one hit me, no one give me the game plans, give me some pads, you know. A trainer bar me every day, I have none of that. To get where I got, where I got, you know, I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy with what I've achieved. You should be. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just so unusual. But when you talk about the sparring trips, I mean, obviously that was that's key in the development, isn't it, yeah. of, of any young fighter, Matt? And I've heard from time to time from various people that they'd offered sparring to a young fighter, and the young fighter decided paid sparring, and the young fighter decided that they didn't really want it, and it raised a few eyebrows the point I'm getting at here is that possibly it's the case sometimes now that the young fighters avoid that kind of heavy work that you probably need to put in in the early stages yeah I mean sparring someone like Cello or someone like you know Pat Maxwell I sparred hundreds of rounds with Pat when I turned pro no Pat was a guy that I mean come down to Birmingham I was training I think it was my my third no, third, fourth, I think, fourth or fifth fight. I think I was three and out at the time. And he come down and inspired me. And I remember, you know, I never heard of him in the amateurs or anything like that. But he was up at Billy Graham's and I was like, yeah, yeah he, had a, he had a good record. I think he was undefeated and that and a few knockouts. But he come down and inspired. We did four rounds. And I remember thinking, what the hell was that? Yeah. It was like I just had a straightener for 15 <laughs> minutes. It was like literally do or die yeah. war. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, in my head, I thought, in my plan going in I thought well I'll spar four rounds I'll jump out do a couple on the back skip. <laughs> after yeah. the four rounds I was done you know yeah, when that yeah. lactic acid has just built yeah, up yeah, and yeah. You got like it was, that was finished it was like it was nothing, I just about had enough energy to get in the shower and wash myself <laughs> you know it was an absolute straightener for yeah. four rounds and that was like that. but that was the way Pat used to spar yeah. I was about Pat hundreds of rounds and it was the same thing That Pat, that's how Pat sparred it's, you know and Pat, Pat was one of them so much talent Really, he had a lot of ability. Very big puncher, mm. good chin. You know, he was—he'd stick it on you, and he'd just go to war. And it was like, but you know what? Those spars with Pat, and even with the, the spars with Cello. I, I remember thinking, oh, you, you know, their name came up as you were struggling for sparring. And, yes. You know, Brian. I go, well, look, I can get Pat Maxwell or, or, or Cello. You'd be thinking, oh, you know, because you know it's gonna be an hellacious spar. You know, it's gonna be some bombs thrown at you, know, <laughs> uh, you know but th- those were the spars that made me sharp yeah those were the those were the those were the sparring partners yeah. that brought the best out in me yeah you know when I was pointing yeah. someone that were in a puncher really they yeah. hit me with the kitchen sink yeah. I couldn't get out the way of them because yeah. I just dropped that level because I had yeah. no fear but th- we're talking about this a lot lately yeah because you know, of the Joshua Ruiz mm. you know, I didn't have the fear in my belly I'd, you know, I had a pretty good chin and I was you know a pretty tough guy so mm. Yeah, I'll take a few, I don't care. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But guys like Cello and Pat who could take your head off, mm. I didn't want to take a few off them. No. So I was sharp. Yeah. And they made, they really, you know, it's not sharpening the knife. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, sparring guys like Cello and Pat, they sharp, they made yeah. me razor sharp. Yeah. Where when I was boxing guys that there was no fear factor, I couldn't punch. I didn't get that sharp, if anything, sometimes I got, I got blunter. Yeah. I got down and get bad habits. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, they're the sort of guys like I knew. Or even though I didn't want to spar them because of how hard how hard they hit and that, I knew that it was better for me to mm. do it. You know, it's like it's like doing things like I don't really want to go to the track mm. and do sprints because you're going through some pain. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I know if I do the track yeah. and I do a minimal running, that's going to take mm. me to another level. Yeah. And uh, mm. 
you know, it's one of those things that you don't want to do, but sometimes it's the things you don't want to do. It's the most, they're the most important, important things to make sure yeah. you do do. Yeah. And hard sparring. And there's a line, by the way. There's no point in having crash bang wallop all the time and leaving it in the gym. Mm. You know, I think you had a lot of heavy sparring, yeah, Cello. Yeah, that right, I think yeah, was probably true, not right. good for you. That's you know, right, I think it probably wasn't good for you. And, but again, I think you didn't have anyone over you saying, Cello, swerve that. Like, yeah, really. So, right. so, so some of the first few spars you came and had with me was probably great for you. Like yeah. you said, you learned about you know how much I, how I was fainting yeah. and draining you without even doing anything yeah. and stuff like that. But I remember some of them spars I had with you at the end where I gave you some terrible stick Mate, and like, that wasn't good for you. That yeah, was bad right. for you. It was good yeah. for me because it was you. The, the threat yeah. of you was making me sharp, but really they were they were pretty one-sided beatdowns. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, if someone if I was managing you, I'd be saying. You're not going back there for that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. I, I, I said it to Andy before. Cello was one of those you know, careers. That, you know, he never really had anyone looking yeah. out for him. You know what I mean? Because the last thing a brave fighter needs is a brave trainer. You yeah. know, and that goes for training as well as we, we talk about it in terms of pulling fighters out yeah. of fights that you know there's no point in carrying on in. You know, yeah. It, but yeah, yeah. In, in picking the fights, being a manager, thinking you know it's good to go and get some sparring. But then there comes a line, you know, I went out to the wild card and I sparred out there. And it's literally, throw everyone in and whoever comes out on top is the strongest and they're going to be world champions. You know, it's, everyone's just having a fight. Wow. With 16 ounce gloves on, it's a fight every single day. Now, a certain amount of that is good. Yeah. But too much of it is very, very bad. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a fight, I think, you know, you want to dress rehearsal. There's a, there's a line, there's a fine line between being battle-hardened and leaving it in the gym. Yeah. You know, a lot was sitting across the table yeah. there. I think you left an awful lot in the gym. Yeah, you yeah. took a you, you put a lot of miles on the yeah, clock yeah, yeah. in, in hard gym. sparring yeah. sessions, which it's unnecessary, you know what I mean? You save that for the fight. One or two here and there, definitely. Yeah. You know, it's good to yeah, push yourself yeah. and sometimes get you're gonna come out, out on the uh, you know, not, not the wrong end, but you're gonna yeah. you know, you know you're gonna you're gonna get a bit of a shellacking. Yeah. We've all had them. Yeah, yeah, but and you learn from it, but you don't want to be having hard spar after hard spar after hard spar because, yeah. you know, they're, they're like a hard fight. There's yeah. only so many of them in you. Yeah. But you did have some great nights. You had plenty of great nights. There's oh. two, two things that spring to mind particularly. You, you could just take us through your favourites, but, but prize fighter was a great thing for you because yeah. that sprint format suited oh, you. Oh, down to the ground. And, of course, if social media was then what it is now, yeah. I, think, I think that would have suited you down to the ground because you could have got on there and you could have caught everyone out that everybody yeah. would have known but people also wouldn't have engaged people wouldn't have tweeted back I'm <laughs> telling you because they just said don't give it oxygen yeah. just don't yeah. comment and it'll yeah. blow out but if you yeah. start getting into it then you're going to have to yeah, fuck yeah, people yeah. are going to put it on you yeah. I'm telling you he was the king of the who needs him club in yeah. Britain because he was a massive massive puncher but he had been stopped and lost here yeah. and there to whoever whoever so yeah. he was like whoa you don't want to fight him so no one that anyone that had a decent manager behind yeah. them wouldn't have been fighting Cello. If I was managing a kid, like I said, and he was a middleweight, and I thought this kid had talent, there's not a chance he'd have been fighting Cello. Sparger, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I've been bringing him down every now and then to yeah. spar him to sharpen him up. You know what I mean? But uh, there's not a chance if I had a, a middleweight prospect would he yeah. have been fighting Cello. And there's another thing. Get up that Twitter. Yeah. There's, there's another thing which would have gone viral. It's the double knockdown against, yeah, against knockdown, Paul yeah. Samuels. If that had happened yeah. now, that would be that would be over Twitter worldwide in, in a matter yeah. of 
in a matter of uh, of seconds. I've done so many hits on um, on the old YouTube, like I mean, a double knockdown. But yeah, I've had so many good memories, you know, just with my, my win for the British title in Milan, knocking Sam Walton out in the second round. That got voted the second best knockout of 2008. Was your, was your fight the double knockdown? Double knockdown, Who yeah. was that against? Uh, Paul Samuels. Paul Samuels. Paul Samuels, yeah. Sam, yeah. What, a, what a highlight reel. <laughs> big, big, big puncher. He was big puncher. Massive puncher. And then that got voted fight of the year, British fight of the year, that did. Me and Paul Samuels. Um, even my, my, my last title fight win against um, Leon McKenzie, you know. Everyone's just raving about that, how, how, how fantastic that fight was, you know. And that was a fight that I only got given three and a half weeks' notice. Um, they didn't pay me. I had, to, I had to sell tickets in order to pay myself. It's like, you know, it's like, it's like me asking someone to build an extension in my house and then saying, oh, by the way, I'm not paying her. It's like, hold on a minute, you want me, but you want me to pay myself. How's that work out? So I, knew the, I knew the game inside out, so I knew what it was all about. So, okay, I went, okay, no problem. And I took the fight, and I, and I did sell quite a few tickets for, for that fight. I'm glad I did, because I went up you know, knocking them out and winning, winning the seven-year title. But, you know, I was up against it everywhere, in the ring with the referees. And I thought um, Ricardo Sound, that Matt, Matt mentioned earlier, you know, he was a child's referee. He had hold of my hand, ready to lift my hand up. He dropped it, went over to Ricardo Sound, lifted his hand up. So I was up against it in every way. Hey everybody, this is Moto G Pete from the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast. Join us every week while we rate, review, ride, philosophize, and generally obsess over every single motorcycle make, model, and style that could possibly exist, plus news and racing. That's the Nokomoto Motorcycle Podcast from Moto One Podcast Network Studios. Every way. I'm just thinking here when you thought the um was it Jason Samuels or Paul Samuels? Paul, Paul Samuels. Samuels. Yeah. Uh, yeah he, like, he was a big puncher too. Big puncher. And yeah. I remember, you know, and you see this sometimes with big punchers. They get, they can, you know, people think, oh, he's a chinny banger, you know, because he, he's been stopped a good few times, but yeah. he's knocked loads out. And, you know, a lot of the time, it's not that they're chinny, but what it is, because they hit so hard, they're so focused on landing yeah. their own Rain shot, shot yeah. that they're not paying attention about what's coming back, back at them. Yeah. So they, they end up, shipping an awful lot of damage they get yeah. hit with big big yeah, shots yeah, because yeah. you're so preoccupied in what you're going to land because yeah. you know you've got that knockout yeah, power yeah. that you're not t- you're not you, you, you've neglected your defenses yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's not so much that you're chinny it's just that you get hit with so many big shots yeah, flush yeah. Yeah. well the, the Samuel scene you both open out to throw left hooks you both land them at exactly the same time and yeah. you both go down and, and then it's one of those things that you just hardly ever see it. It's almost yeah. a kind of quiz question for aspiring referees when they go up in front of the board. What do you do, what do, you do? if right, both yeah. fighters go? It's rocky stuff, it really is. But prize fighter, yeah. I mean, when that format was invented, did you look right. at that and just think, I've got to get in that because this is a way yeah. for me to make a name for myself? Yeah, 100%. I had a bit of bad luck in both of them, actually. Not bad luck, sorry. Um, one against, when I got to the final against Martin Murray, you know, people, many people thought I'd won that, many people thought he'd won that. On paper, it was a draw, but in price rate, you can't have a draw. You know, you've got to have a winner. But what you look for? His not first round knockdown against me, or my last two rounds. You don't know. Second prize fight, I broke my hand in the quarterfinals, and then end up getting to the final, beating Jack Arnfield, a former undefeated fighter who's a good amateur, and end up beating him with a broken hand, and end up you know buying a house and living now with it. So I've done well in, in regarding with that. But the, the prize fight, if it, it suited me to the ground, it did suit me to the ground. You know, if, if there's one to happen tomorrow, I might even come out of retirement for it. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> you never know, mate. But in, in terms of all the 
experiences that you, you gathered outside the ring as well because you said just there that by the time you fought Leon McKenzie that by the end of your career you knew the game inside oh, out yeah. it must have been a steep learning curve because at the start of your career you knew nothing and you had no one to tell you anything yeah. so how kind of bruising was that at times or I mean were there times where you just thought I can't, I can't do this because Many I'm getting done over I'm getting Many stiff by time. promoters left right and centre because I don't really know yeah. what I'm supposed to get and yeah. they know I don't know I was, I was having like six months eight months out of the ring because I couldn't get a fight you know, which meant you know didn't do me any favours you know, because you know I'd love you know it just you know my sharpness wasn't there and I was having eight months out of the ring each time I ever fight I couldn't get no one to fight me you know so that didn't the inactivity didn't play played a massive part in you know it's like I, I, I was getting sick and tired of the game I was never getting anything I deserved I got two prize fighter finals I won a British title in I was seven era champion you know what more do I need to do in order to fight for a British title to give me a shot at the British title you know and my last fight for instance I thought um a guy in Doncaster I, st- I didn't have that fire in my belly anymore I didn't have the butterflies in my belly it's like here we go again another eliminator I've had, I've had about six eliminators throughout my whole career you know, and I, thought, I got disheartened in the game you know, this got so disheartened here we go again sort of thing I thought when I, when I fought him I thought you know what mate I don't think I can do no more I don't think I can do no more and then I knew straight after I was going to retire straight away because you know, I just had a little baby you know um just got married, you know, bought a house, working fantastic with boxing futures. So I knew my commitments and everything sort of just changed. But whereas also I wanted it too much. I believe that's my downfall also. I was reading about it, I was watching it, I was studying, and I wanted it too, too much. And that was my problem as well. That was my problem. I wanted it so badly. Um, and that was my downfall as well. Uh, that's quite interesting actually because it is very difficult to turn off from, from any kind of professional sport, I would imagine. I, I'm obsessed with sport and I'm not a professional athlete. Yeah. I mean, if your performances are what you're judged by constantly, because you have to keep yourself in such good condition. Yeah. We, we've got some calamari and, and some chips in front of us now and we're drinking pints of Coke and that's yeah. great and it doesn't matter now because no. you're retired, but you can't enjoy those kinds no. of things when you're actually fighting. You were saying to Matt before we started that Diet, nutrition—that that was that was another thing which which oh. again <laughs> you're just grimacing now as I'm saying it. Oh. It just kind of passed you. It just kind of passed you by. It's like you know, I ain't no nutritionist. You know, I didn't have no one tell me, Charlie, you need to eat this at this time, that much at that time, eat this, eat that, and none of that. So I was doing it off my own, own cord. No, it made me miserable. You know, and then I live with my friend Italian for crying out loud. You know, I've been brought up on pasta, you know, meatballs and all that type of stuff. You know, and for me, not being able to eat anything and like day before weighing, sucking on ice cubes and you know not really have an idea what what I could not not eat. You know, like we get a lot of things now today's. You know, you get like, like get your meals prepared for you at a certain time. Was like, none of that. Just off my own, off my own back. And that that was hard as well. Making weight, you know, going into a fight, knowing I have nothing in me. How am I meant to beat this guy? I've got nothing in me. I, I, I haven't got a round in me. I haven't got a round. I was going into most of my fights that way. No, I had nothing in me in order to beat this kid. I know I can beat him. I know I can beat him, but I had nothing in me to beat him. I've not eaten for God knows how many weeks. I've not eaten for like 24 hours. You know, I remember when I fought for the um, British title, I was six ounces over, six bloody ounces over. I remember sitting in Ricky Ant's sauna room to 
get the to get the weight off. I remember getting back on the scale and I was bang on. And I had a couple of occasions where that happened. You know, I remember one occasion I fought um, over in Leicester and like I was like four ounces over and I was skipping in the changing rooms and people coming into into the venue thinking, well, I'm mean, now people are in the venue. I'm not eating all day. I've got to get full, rid of four ounces. And you know, I had the power. And I ended up knocking them out, knocking them out, and around, knocking them down in round one. I ended up winning on points, you know, because I had that power. But making weight was 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 very very hard for me, very very hard for me. You know, I'm a big big lad. With me, I was a, I was a big big middle and a small super middle. So really for me, an ideal weight for me would be about 11.10. 11.10 was where I, I was that I was great at. There was, there was extra four or five pounds for me that took everything out of me. Took everything out of me. It does seem to be something that, that has advanced a lot over the last few years, fairly, in fairly recent times, Matt. The, well, it's a big debate in boxing, isn't it, as to whether things now have become a bit too much of a contest as to who can make weight best. And the obsession seems to be how low can you go yeah. on Friday lunchtime, but you fight on, on, on Saturday night. I mean, I think, I think you'd admit yourself that when you were in camp, you were right on it. But your refueling in between camps was possibly a little bit unorthodox at times, and yeah. maybe you could have made things a bit easier for yourself. And now you look at the way some fighters do it now, and you just think, if I'd done it like that, I could have done an extra two weeks of technique or something. Yeah, without a doubt, I um, certainly like now. I am probably fitter and in mm. better shape, yeah. and eat better and live a better life, without a doubt now, mm. than I ever did in between fights when I was a professional yeah. fighter, which is. Shocking, really, yeah. you know, when you're professional athletes. But I think the the thing with boxing, and then this is where it's still, and I, and I don't know how this changes or when it changes or, or, or where you'd even begin to get around this. I suppose it comes down to self-discipline. But, you know, if you're a, if you play for Man United or, or any Premier League football team, you know, you, you're part of that club. You've got to, you know, there's, there's a whole backroom staff. There's a man, you're accountable. Yeah. You've got to go in. The Monday after a game, or you know, you'll have your six-week period yeah. of an off-season. But even then, you know, that the, there's people ringing you, there's agents, there's man, yeah. there'll be people that are staying in touch, keeping you kind of. Yeah. Well, how are you doing? Are you eating this? And, and yeah. you'll know that you've got to get back then. The pre-season is going to be tough, and there's other people pushing you, so you've got to do. It. But so you're kind of kept in a structure. Your life, your life is kept yeah. in a bit of a structure, manageability. Your life is being managed. Really, you're being kept. You're insulated. You know, mm. in boxing, it's like. You, you, boxers train like no one trains for eight weeks, ten weeks, whatever. But I think it's so intense and it's so hard the diet in the loneliness, etc., etc. And then the highs are like literally ecstasy when you yeah. win. That I think you're not, and, and the fight because you, you've been living a certain way. Or yeah. For me, anyway, living away and isolating and the diet and the training. Yeah. I, I'd go, I'd go bananas then yeah, you know yeah. for like well, yeah. what I would think and what would I intend to be yeah. a weekend would yeah. turn into eight weeks and the yeah, reality yeah. was I wouldn't probably get back in the gym until I had a date and I know I know I think oh no oh shit I'm, I'm boxing in ten weeks yeah. I better start training I'm, I'm going to need ten weeks yeah. but really you know and, and again, I don't know how or when this happens, and I suppose it, it, it does come down to the individual. And, and I suppose you could people say, well, you should have had more discipline. And it's like, yeah, of course, that, that's the obvious answer. Mm. Of course, but it's easy to say that now, 37 years of age, yeah. when I'm 24, mm. 23, and I've been away from, and again, it was so, no social media or no. WhatsApp or any of this. So, you know, I'm in digs in, a, you know, in Manchester where, you know, you're earning not big money at the time, so you're staying in not the best of digs, in the best yeah. of areas. and 
you know, by the time you've had the fight, you can't wait to, not only have you just won and you're on a high, you feel like I've just got out of jail, like I can actually live, live for a bit, a bit now. Yeah. And then, you, you know, you'd, obviously you'd yeah. overindulge because you've been deprived, you're over compensate and and then there's, there's, you're kind of going from yin to yang yeah. where really you just want to stay somewhere in the middle but in boxing it doesn't it, it's still a little bit sort of a bit of an area where it's probably weak you know i think in professional clubs and that because yeah. there's so much money around yeah you know boxing there's huge money when you're floyd mayweather yeah but then there's absolute pennies, pennies at the yeah, bottom yeah. level yeah. and there's you know there's decent money at a center but not not yeah. major not no, like no. using the football clubs they are literally molly cuddled they kept, they kept right, you know, the yeah, food stuff, yeah, they kept, yeah, yeah. They, and, and they kept accountable, yeah. you know, so it's, um, you know, it, and it's, it's the, they have that six-week blow-up, but other than that, their, their year's pretty, they're pretty much regimented, structured, they've got routine, they've got people that they have to be accountable to, I think in boxing, you train so hard for 10 weeks, but then you're kind of left to yourself, yeah. you know, yeah, you'll have a manager and a trainer, but, you, you know, they leave you to it, really, where I think the, the, the right thing to do is if you don't, if you didn't, if we didn't overindulge so much, we wouldn't need 10 weeks of isolating and doing depriving ourselves so much you know what i mean it's like it, but you're going from yin to yang which you, you don't you don't want that really you don't want to be yo-yo and you want to sort of stay just consistent and be you know like in the middle you, like i've always said it i think you know six weeks that's what it, that's what anything more than a six week camp in my opinion is too much yeah but the problem with us was with me was and with yeah. a lot of people I needed six weeks to get to the six weeks point. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because I'd, because I'd over, I'd let myself go too yeah. much in between fights, and that's the. And yeah. then what it is because then, then twelve weeks living like that yeah. deprive yourself. It's a long time. Do you know where six weeks? It's 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 a lot, you know what I mean. You wouldn't. It's like when you pull the elastic band. Yeah. It's going to go too much further yeah, the other yeah. way. Where if you didn't pull it so far back, it wouldn't go so far the other way. And it's just I, that's somewhere. Whenever I'm speaking to fighting yeah. now, I'm like I always say to them, you know. Li- train where you live yeah. or go and live where you're training yeah, you know yeah. if you if that means you're going to train with a trainer from yeah. another country or another city go and live there yeah. because what'll happen is you, th- th- you need to live the life living the life isn't eight weeks no. or ten weeks living the life is ten years yeah, yeah, yeah 100% yeah whereas I was mine's a little bit different whereas I didn't know when I was going to fight it wasn't like I had I knew I was fighting such such a day. I knew I wanted to give myself eight weeks. I, well, no, I didn't have that. I always had to keep myself training every day. I trained every day. Because I was natural, I wasn't a natural middleweight, I wasn't a natural super middleweight. So I was always about stone over. Natural with me training every day, pretty much, ticking over. I always had to tick over throughout my whole career because I didn't know when the phone call would ring. You know, when the phone call rang, nine times out of ten, I probably got two to three weeks. So I had to stay ready because, you know, the phone, if the opportunity was to come, Okay, I couldn't say no because I wasn't ready. I wanted to say yes, I'm ready. I'll take it. it meant I had to get a stone off in two and a half weeks, and so be it. You know. Did you ever say no? I've never said no. Never said no. I went on my honeymoon. I got off to a rematch against um, Jack Arnfield, and um, I was on my honeymoon. Went to Dubai. Went to the Maldives, and I remember all inclusive. I remember I was training out there on my bloody honeymoon for crying out loud. For me then to get back for the fight to be cancelled. Mate, he got off the British title shot, and these are the type of things that I got that happened to me. But I always stayed ready, I had to, because I didn't want to miss out on an opportunity, you know. So I always had to stay roughly ready. I was never out of my fighting weight because I was never, I used to weigh in like 11 and a half stone, I used to walk in the ring at 12 and a half stone, you know, or I used to weigh at 12 stone, walk in the ring at 13 stone. I was, nat- I was never naturally walking around my fighting weight ever, I was always fight fit. 
always fight fit, always. Give me, give me three weeks notice, four weeks notice, like I've had throughout my career, and I'll fight you, 12 round, 10 round, no matter what I fight. And the other thing as well is that you had to sustain yourself outside of the boxing ring, so you're working most of the time. I mean, what, what kind of jobs were you, were you doing? I was, I was very fortunate, really. I had only a little part-time job. I was training Monday to Friday, every day. I had, my mum and dad, they support me financially. I was living at home, so I had nothing to pay out. Um, so I, I, could, I could do it, you know. Um, and it wasn't until then I, bought, I obviously got into prize fire and I bought, my own, I bought my own house. And things started to become a little bit different. Now, hold on, I can't just work part-time no more. I've got a mortgage to pay and bills to pay. And I thought, no, I need to sort, I need to sort something out. And then obviously got, got involved in boxing futures. And then I started to started to build a massive good relationship with Boxing Futures and we're doing some fantastic work. And I, and I knew then that it needed my whole attention because Boxing Futures could really go to that next level and it needed me at the forefront of Boxing Futures. And that sort of happened towards the end of my career. You know, then I, I had a kid, you know, and then I got married and things just sort of, sort of, sort of just changed, you know, and it wasn't boxing no more, you know. I sort of fell out of love with it because I never got tripped well. Never got trekked while boxing. People always say to me, will you ever come out of time? No, the answer is no. No, I won't. Why should I? What's boxing done for me? You haven't done anything for me. Never, I never got what I deserve. You know, fast through, through managers, promoters, trainers, a lot. Referees, a lot. Done nothing for me. So of course I won't come out of time. No, not a chance. Yo, I'm DK, co-host of the One Star Recruits podcast. My best friend Rip and I host five-star athletes, celebs, business leaders, comedians, and coaches from around the world. Each week, I can guarantee the show will always have great laughs, catch up on life's in relatable ways, and have a ton of fun. We're recruiting you. We are the One Stars, which means we can ask the questions that no other podcast asks to guests like Joey Chestnut, Evander Holyfield, Bobby Hurley, Jenny Finch, Ryan Lochte, Montel Jordan, New guests every week, compelling interviews that you want to hear. Check us out wherever you get podcasts, One Star Recruits. You know? Well, it's good that you've you made that decision so kind of finally, because that's always a good thing, isn't it, Matt? Because the temptation in the first couple of years, particularly after yeah. a fighter hangs them up or tries to, that, that's, the, that's the danger zone from what I understand, those 24 months. If you can get through then, then you're probably going to be okay. There was just one other thing I wanted to, to ask you about before we just have a, a more of a chat about what you're doing now. Matt mentioned the word loneliness there as attached to being a professional fighter. When you were taking those sparring jobs and you said you slept on the floor of the, would have been the Empire Gym, I guess, yes, in Bristol for Glenn Catley. I mean, that is, that's bleak. You know, you're over there to spar a really, really good fighter. Especially if you get a hiding that yeah. day. You know yeah, it's a lot it. worse. It's that's a lot bleaker yeah. then. I mean, can you remember any particular points during those days where you just thought, wow, like, what on earth am I doing here? I just thought that everybody did it. You know, I'm, I'm no different. You know what I mean? I've seen people go out and, and go to training camps. I thought, that's a, I thought that was a thing to do. You know, and I thought I, need, I, I needed to, to do it in order to, you know, to get the experience that that was going to help me in fights, you know. And it did get lonely, 100% it did. You know, I didn't have, you know, where, you, where you're laying down and you, you could be on social media and pass a bit of time. I had none of that. So literally, I was staying at four walls for like, God knows how many, how many hours. So I knew I had to spar in the afternoon. And then, and that's what I did, you know. I knew, I knew it had to be done in order for me to be successful. You know, so like I said at the beginning, I wanted it that bad. 
I wanted it that bad. I think I told you, you this story before, and we might have done it on the podcast, I can't even remember, but I remember, yeah. you know, I didn't sleep on the gym floor, but I remember being out in Florida, uh, training with Buddy McGirt yeah. for a fight against Shory Boy Campus, and, oh, yeah. you know, I was obviously, I'd been training with Billy Graham for four years, who was, you know, one end of the spectrum style, holistically yeah. as a coach, and then, you know, Buddy was probably the other end of that spectrum, he was a real stylist, boxer, everything off the jab, and so you're going through this period of uh, transition, transformation. You're trying to remould yourself. You're working on new things. And this is over like five weeks, a five-week yeah. period out there. And, you know, I'm spa- caught in the middle a little bit. I'm uh, you know, trying to impress Buddy. Mm. I'm um, sparring a guy who's six and six, I think, well to eight, who boxed the head off me. Wow. <laughs> you know, and I'm like... You know, then, then the week later, I'm sparring his son, who's a six-foot-two southpaw, wow, yeah. super middle, and he's boxed the head off me. I've yeah. two black... And I remember thinking to myself, how, how am I going to beat your boy campus? Yeah, I, can't yeah, even, yeah. I can't even get the better of this kid who's six yeah, and six. Yeah, you yeah. know, I was sparring terror because I was caught in, in the middle. Do you know yeah, what I mean? I was, yeah, I, was, yeah. I, was, I, was, I was neither here nor there. And uh, my confidence was absolutely on the floor. Wow. And I remember sitting back in a room and you know this this is this is 2008 you know like yeah. i wasn't i wasn't on facebook there was no yeah. uh, you know there weren't there was no whatsapp you weren't no. i wasn't ringing home because it was about no, 150 no. a minute and <laughs> you know and the time difference anyway so it was like you know i remember they were they were lonely times and there were times where i was thinking where you really i suppose looking back it built a lot of character mm. because it built a lot of mental toughness That's because you had to because you're thinking you know you're sitting there and your confidence is shut spending a lot of money to be out there yeah. you know my, my, my future my hopes my dreams my career yeah. are all pending on on every fight really yeah, you know yeah. at that stage you've got a lust where would I have gone so you know it was uh, I, I've had some dark times myself and, yeah. and, 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 and even though I did, like I said I didn't sleep on the floor I, I can empathise yeah. and sympathise with, with how you know you probably felt certain days yeah. going back I mean I don't know how you inspired with Glen Catley but I imagine yeah. some days were good some days weren't so good and on a day that weren't so good you start thinking what am I doing? Really Sleeping on the floor it. in the gym. Yeah, yeah, what am what I doing? Yeah. Is this worth it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Exactly what I thought. Exactly what I thought. You know, is it worth it? Well, I'm, I'm getting paid bloody peanuts anyway. What's the point of me coming up here and then like sparring in Catley's? You know, for me, he was the for me, like I say, he's the probably the hardest jab I think I've ever ever faced ever in sparring in fight. He had one hard jab. jab. I thought, wow, what was that? A right hand hit me with a fantastic jab. Um, but yeah, you know, you you do think to yourself, is it really all worth it? You start, you know, because I wasn't on big money, you know, hardly anything really. Time I paid managers, time I paid, you know, my expenses. I boxed pretty much next to nothing. I didn't have no sponsors, you know, supporting me or behind me or you know, helping me out. None of that. I always say we're like drug addicts. Boxing's a drug, and we're all drug addicts because yeah. really, if we could just get off it, we yeah, <laughs> would no. be happier. Oh, but what happens is we can't get through the cold turkey, and we start missing it. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, the, the and the and the come that the 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 lows are, are what make you as addicted as the yeah, highs yeah, because yeah. it's like you know when you feel that feeling, you don't ever want to feel it again. Yeah, and the high, like there's nothing like nothing it. You like go it. out there and you train oh. so hard and you've got all that fear and you're going into yeah. the, j- the ring at night and then you you, you utilise it and you put everything together and you perform bucks out your skin and you get the win you, you, you're on such a high that it's unexplainable really yeah. only, only only the people that have felt it understand it yeah and but the, the flip side of that is when you lose man that that is that's a lonely place to be the, the biggest high probably was the win against Leon McKenzie and, yeah. and that came towards the end yeah. and I'd imagine by that point you were probably 
thinking about life after boxing. You've grown fairly disillusioned with it, I'd imagine, by, by the sound so. of, of, of what you've been saying. But even though that was the case, you still yeah. managed to get that win. And, and as John Peck said to us on the podcast, he said that it's the most exciting fight he's ever been involved yeah. in. Because he's never seen someone, as he said, hurt as many times as you were yeah. and came back as many times as you did. Yeah. So what? how do you explain that, given where you were with boxing at that point in your own mind? You... you, you You'd had enough of it, really, yeah, but still, when that bell goes, it's just in you, isn't it? You just can't. You I couldn't can't finish help it. or retire without you know, achieving what I wanted to achieve. You know, I wanted to win at least one major bout, at least one major bout. You know, so when things were hard in that fight and it was hitting me, memories start coming back. Matlin's bar, that's bar. I can't go through that, okay, and not and not think to myself it's a waste of time I've got, I've got to draw experience from that and think do you know what whatever you, whatever you give me I've been through it all I've been through spars I've been through fights there's nothing that you're going to do to me that I've not already been through you know and, and you know and, and like I said you know the crowd were behind me just, you know and, and I just you know, I knew I, I knew you know that everything that it was dishing out of me I was taking it all I was giving it back and my goal was to win that title. It really was. There was no way he was going to beat me. He had to nail me down, do something in order to beat me. He was never going to beat me. And you mentioned earlier what, what you're up to now. Uh, and it's something I'm familiar with because you're, yes. you're head coach for Boxing Futures. And yeah. Boxing Futures is a charity that I'm an ambassador for that yeah. I've become involved with recently. And I mean, it's great. Oh. It's just great what they're doing because... Physical exercise is, is good therapy. Everybody, everybody knows that it can it can clear the mind. Oh, amazing! Uh, and boxing, of course, can provide the ultimate kind of workout. But boxing is also a very cerebral sport. You know, it's it's very mental. Yeah, it's very much about taking on challenges that you wouldn't necessarily even choose to, and just figuring out a way of just hanging in yeah. there and sticking with it until you until you get it done yeah. and they do their work boxing futures with people with mental health issues yeah. who really feel like they've been abandoned like they've never really had the support they yeah. needed that they can't really achieve things that there's no real reason for any kind of optimism yeah uh, and and the work the work we do just shows them that that's that's not the case and they, all the things you were talking about I think that's why you're so well suited to that particular task but it's funny watching him in action because I went down to see a session in Hackney and everybody was really engaged with it he's got a really really good way with all with all the students but of course they've got no idea any of them none the standing in front of them is you know one of the more murderous punches for the last 10 years in British boxing but you look like you really enjoy it I love it I love it you know What's, what's been really good for me since I've retired my transition you know it's been fantastic because you know I'm still very much heavily involved in boxing. You know, I, I, I do classes at my local boxing gym. I do a one-to-one training. I work for Boxing Future. We do some fantastic work. So for me, the retirement aspect of it all, it's been okay. You know, it wasn't like I was fighting regular anyway because I couldn't get any any fights. So and like to give back to the people when like from where I've come from and like mental toughness you know I am faced by anything in the world nothing absolutely nothing I just want to bring that across for everybody like you, we can all achieve if, if we all trip 
the right way. We can all achieve, you know. And I believe in that. Believing in yourself, like I did. I believed in myself when things were going horribly wrong for me. I believed in myself. No one else did. Even my family doubted me, but my friends doubted me. You know, everyone started doubting me. But I wanted to show to everyone, the people that I'm teaching, you can do it. You know, do what I didn't. What I didn't get. You know, I, when I'm teaching, you know. I'm with them, I train them, you know, I'm there if they need any, any, any advice, you know, and that's what I didn't get. So basically I'm giving back what I didn't get, basically, some people. Matt, what I find really interesting about boxing as a kind of, I don't know, life lesson, if you like, is that it doesn't pretend that it's not going to be hard, boxing, cool. does it? It doesn't pretend that it won't be hard. The, the lesson is there, if you work hard, as Cello yeah. said, you can do it. Can you do can it. succeed you can achieve but sometimes you hear people in other areas maybe their attitude is a little bit too much shall we say oh everything will be okay in the end if you just try your best boxing doesn't sugarcoat anything yeah you can do it but it's going to be really hard and you're going to have to really want it and that's that's just being real yeah there's um, there's there's a plaque in the wall in the wild card and I think it says Nobody said it would be easy. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. it's so true. No one said this was easy. No one. In fact, I was told how hard it would be. And I remember, remember Rob McCracken saying to me, when I was amateur boxing, you know, my young England days under 19, so I was like 18, 17, 18, and he was like, oh. and, and you could see, he'd, he'd obviously fallen, fallen out of love with the, the programme at that stage. He was still kind of hanging in there. But he, was, he used to just say, oh, it's so hard, Joe. it's so hard. <laughs> in my head, because I was like loving boxing and everything was exciting and keen. And he, you know, he'd obviously been through it and I hadn't. So I was still kind of excited by everything. And he obviously wasn't anymore. And he was just, he was probably looking at my eagerness and my sort of, um, I don't know what's the word, keenness. Yeah. And he, um, but, but, but he was the other end of the spectrum. And, and I'm, I used to think to myself, well, you know, I've been in some tough fights. And I've, yeah. You know, I've boxed three, four times in four days in the multitations against this person, that person. Yeah. You know, how hard can it? Be? How much? How much harder can it be? Yeah. But oh my God! <laughs> now, now that I'm where he was, then I can, I can, I can say that he wasn't lying. You know, it was. Um, listen, at times you, the the word soul searching. You know, you are soul searching at times. That character building. You know, it, it's not for the uh, faint-hearted. It's a, it's a tough game. It's an, I think it's a t- a, an even tougher business mm. and a tougher life. Mm. Not just the not just the fights which are brutal, mm. not just the training sessions which can be brutal, but the life, the loneliness, the dieting, the yeah. sacrifices. You know the the the, the, the setbacks and the letdowns. Yeah. You know building yourself up, getting excited, this fight that. Then something that's completely out of your control. You know someone else gets injured. You know the TV pulled the plug on yeah. the show. Whatever. Yeah. You know the, the right list couldn't you? But there's it's just those setbacks and those going from one disappointment after another. I said a quote once and it said, success is going from one, going from disappointment after disappointment without losing enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, I, I tell you, let me, yeah, yeah. let me tell you, that, that enthusiasm has been yeah. tested. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? And I, you know, and, and that's just me, but I'm yeah. pretty sure every single, you know, we've yeah. just heard some of your story there, Cello, yeah. and, you know, sleeping on floors and, setbacks and taking fights out weeks no he's a guy who comes in a stone heavy and yeah. do you know what I mean it, it, it's a hard road but yeah. Andy said nobody said it was going to be easy and, and, and in fairness they didn't it's hard no, it is hard but for me I just wish I had you know it would be a lot easier if I had 
the right promoter behind me, if I had have the trainer behind me, if I had the, all the nutritionist behind me, if I had sponsors, it would have been a lot easier, let me tell you. But I had none of that. And going through what Matt Neal was saying, and go through what I've been going through, is even harder. And still to have a 14-year career out of it, I must be crazy. Honestly, it must be crazy, honestly. You know, it must be crazy. Go to I, 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 I think self-belief and... Uh, you know, that desire, that perseverance, does borderline on insanity at times yeah. without a doubt. I think it it's a fine line yeah. between insanity and just, you know, perseverance. It's, yeah. it's a fine line sometimes, and I, 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 I tried it myself yeah. over the years at times. But um, but I have to say, and this is looking back on my own career, yeah. it was unbelievable. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, it was hard, and there were lows, and there yeah. were times of despair, and drastic disappointment and loneliness and all the rest of it but actually I would personally for my own story change yeah, the thing yeah, because it um, it shaped my life from a journey yeah, where I am now and course, you know yeah. I think to, in order to appreciate the sweet you have to taste the bitter mm. so but and everyone's journey is different yeah you know and, and every everyone's got a story and, and everyone even though we might look at other people and think god look how easy they had it or I yeah, wish yeah, I'd had yeah, it like yeah. that then when you hear their story, yeah. they, th- there's a million setbacks and disappointments yeah. that you didn't even know about, you know, but, yeah. and they tell it. So I think everyone's, it's a hard road, but, you know, nobody said it was going to be easy, but it, it, it's a fantastic journey, you know. I think one thing that, that fighters and athletes in general do have to be is just mildly delusional a lot yeah. of the time because you, you can't ever admit that you don't think you're going to win a fight. Even if it's an impossible job, you see people up against the likes of Canelo, Rocky Fielding against Canelo. People would ask Rocky Fielding in the build-up to that fight, did he think he was going to win? Honest answer, probably not. Yeah. Well, you fought Golovkin. It's a great example. You know, nobody wanted to fight him at that point. Absolutely nobody. But there's no way in the build-up to that fight, if someone says to you, someone like me, yeah, an observer oh, yeah. says to you, so Matt, you know, be honest. Do you really think you can win that fight? You can't turn around to me and say, you know what, Andy? Thinking never. about it rationally, no. That, they just no, never pass your lips. I mean, that it. was a fight where I knew... I knew it was an uphill task. Yeah. I knew that. You know, I'd, I'd had one round in 15 months. He'd had two fights that year. Wow, you know, yeah. I was 31. You know, I'd, I'd been a pro 11 years. I, I was, you know, I was on the, I was, I was on the down, definitely. Yeah. Uh, he was starving hungry. Yeah. Desperate, likely, to, to make statements out of America. It, it, it was stacked absolutely against yeah. me. But, you know, and nine times out of ten, I thought, you know, nine times out of ten, he's probably going to beat me. But one time out of ten, I can definitely beat him. Yeah, I've just yeah, got yeah. to make this night that one, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, one time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I've just got to get it right. You know, if I, I'm thinking, well, he's never been in. Uh, I mean, and, and by the way, what I'm saying here now, this is what I was thinking when the fight got made. Yeah. By the time the fight come along, you know, Buddy didn't want me to go out with that tactics. He wanted me to try and box my way into it. Blah blah blah. Anyway. If I'd, have, if I'd have had my time again, I'd have just done what I'd done and just gone out there. I'd have threw my eggs into one basket. Yeah. I'd have just thought, this and a 12-round fight because I no. can't beat him over 12 no. rounds. If I don't get him out of there in five or six, I'm done. I'd just yeah. throw 12 rounds of fitness into six. Yeah. Yeah. Saturate him, you know, and try and get him out of there that way. Um, mm. And, and, and don't fight him, you know, hit him low, hit him after, yeah, stick yeah, the head yeah, in, you know, yeah, just... Yeah. Put, Saying it's close to getting disqualified yeah, yeah, as you have yeah, to without yeah. getting disqualified. Yeah, yeah. That's what I wanted to do, but you know, it, you know, by the time the fight was like, nah, to go in, box your way anyway. Hindsight, but mm. it was, um, yeah, I think it's, it, it's a fine line between believing in yourself and being deluded. Absolutely, that was a yeah. fight where I was a big underdog, and and, and and rightly so, and, and I got beaten. So it went the way 
everyone probably thought it was going to yeah. go, but my 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 thought my thought process going in was not just dragging me in. You know, that when we agreed to the fight, mm. I wasn't agreeing to the fight because I thought I was going to lose. No. I was agreeing to the fight because it was believe. a great offer, yeah. but also because I thought, you know what, he's only going to get better. Mm. I'm not, I'm probably getting worse. So we want to do this fight. It's a world title shot. I was in a bit of this. I was in a. A similar boat in the sense that no one wanted he was world champion and no one wanted to fight him uh, and no one was going to force him to fight him because the money wasn't there because he wasn't a big name you had Sergio Martinez Chavez Golovkin um, probably Kid Chocolate but he was over on Showtime and probably me they were probably the top five middleweights in the world at that time and you had Gil there as well but you know Martinez and Chavez were kind of I think were fighting each other had just fought each other yeah. Uh, Martinez had done his knee Chavez was banned you know uh, Kid Chocolate was over on Showtime yeah, yeah. so you know in terms of me getting a big fight it was you know it was Golovkin one of the world yeah, top yeah, shows yeah, yeah, Golovkin yeah. at that stage of my career was 31 I didn't want to re- I didn't want to sit there taking kind of half no. I just wanted to I wanted to fight the best yes, I'm at this yeah. point now yeah. I knew I was probably starting to I was on the slide and I just wanted to while I was still yeah, at it yeah, I wanted yeah. to fight them and uh, you know unfortunately didn't I, I, look, everyone looks at fighting. I've done this differently than that. I think whatever happens, the bottom line is he's a better fighter than me. He'll go down as maybe the best middleweight yeah. of all time. He's certainly in that conversation. Yeah, yeah, but, and I'm glad I fought him because you know he'll go on he'll, when he's retired. He'll be a legend. So yeah. I wish I could have performed better, but that's the way it goes. So, Cello, we haven't got too much longer left, but when you look at people you could have fought possibly who were in your weight category, who were in that British scene... Is there anyone in particular, it could be two or three people, who you think back on and you just think, okay, I'd have beaten you. Nobody else would agree with me. Everybody else would have said, no way, Render can't beat him. But in your heart, you just think, you think of a champion or someone who was at the kind of the top of the division, who nobody would have fancied you against. But with that self-belief, you would have looked at them and just thought, I could beat you. Do you know what? There wasn't many fights I'll, I'll, I'll say now that I'll, I'll, it could be. Uh, I think one stage, I think Matt, me and Matlin were going to fight one stage because you know, Vinny Baldassara pulled out or one of the fights pulled out. So I jumped in and fought Vinny, Vinny Baldassara at one stage or on one show. And it, it, I think I got like two weeks now. I think you pulled out for one fight or something. Yeah, I, I was meant to fight Vinny Baldassara, I think. It was a fight after Jamie Moore, so a combat yeah. fight, but I got. Um, I think I got the, the flu a couple yeah, of weeks, ten days out or something. It was you know around the January or something. I was that's like, oh, I couldn't fight. So uh, I think did you step in and fight? Yeah, I stepped in and fighting him. Yeah, yeah, I stepped in and fighting him because I knew he did pull down with a few flu, and obviously I ended up knocking him out in, in two rounds. But yeah, if they said, "Chill out, mate, you're fine, Matlin," I'd be like, "Yeah, of course, that's the type of fight I would. I believe I could beat him." <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, any fighter's not going to say no. I'm not going to, you know, you're not going to beat him. When you're talking people like you're gloving, of course not. I'm not going to beat him. You know, when you're talking people like at the time, Wayne Alcott was British champion at the time. 100% I'd fight him. I, I believe I could beat him. 100%. You know, 100%. You know, I do believe I could have would have beaten him. So I knew I had the power to knock out anybody, especially with 10 ounce clubs. And when you've been doing what we've been doing today, which is watching the open workouts, and you've got the top of the bill, obviously, yeah. Dillian White, who's been around the block a few times, Derek Chisora, who's been around the block plenty yeah. of times, but then you've got the young lads as well. You've got an undefeated Fabio Wardy, who's very new to this, very fresh. 
Akoli is elite, achieved a lot already, but he's still he's still fairly new. Mm. Dan Aziz, Charlie Duffield, these are young pros yeah. who've got this amazing platform to yeah. box on. When you kind of, as they were walking <laughs> past you today, did do you almost, I don't know, do you look at them and just think, yeah, everybody has their time and it's different for everybody, and you're not yeah. a you're not a, a, a jealous or bitter man. No, it's just no, so obviously all. not. No, but I'm you must. Do you look at these lads maybe and just think, oh, you boys, you know, you you. You, you will learn, but at the moment you don't know the half of it. They've got all the track suits, they've got all the logos, they've got all the sponsors, and things like that. And have not been, you know, majority of them would win on Saturday. I can put my house on it. You know, a lot of the lot of the home fighters will win on Saturday. You know, look for the record. The guys are fighting. You know, they really fought no one. You know, and she thinks to herself, "You're in for a massive wake up call. Massive wake up call." Hundred percent. I see them all there today, like I'm thinking, it's all, it's all looking good now, my friend. You wait when you get your first loss. And that will, what sort of character are you? Are you going to quit? Are you going to give up? Or are you still going to carry on? That's, that's yet to be seen. Yet to be seen. And you never do find that out, do you? Until, until it happens. And that's the, that's the kind of unpalatable truth in a lot of ways about boxing. You desperately, desperately don't want to lose. But until you do, except for some very rare cases, until yeah. somebody does we'll never really know how good no, they it's are that, it's the saying you, you, you won't go till you know yeah oh, and, 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 yeah and that's the reality we, it's the, the, you know outside of boxing there's, there's certain things in life that you can try and put yourself in that situation to try and re, you know create a, a, to, to deal with it to put yourself there to think well, how would I cope would I be okay I think I'd be alright I could but it, it's one of those things yeah. it's impossible you know until it happens to you you don't know how don't you're going to feel yeah, yeah. Okay, gents, well, thanks very much. It's been good fun, been really, really good fun. Cello, thank you. great guys. to see you. Great to see you down here. I'll, I'll be seeing you regularly anyway, yeah. but um, it's really interesting and good to see what you're doing with Boxing Futures. Great to stay in the sport because yeah. there, are, there are so many things about it that you'll look back on with, with fondness, but I don't think you're upset to be out of professional boxing now. You, you had your time, and now you're, yeah. you're approaching the sport in a in a different way and that winds it up for today it's been a really good afternoon yeah. and we're still sat in this pub just overlooking the Thames and it's not the kind of backdrop you get every yeah. day but this one will be coming to you over the course of the next few weeks after after that white Rivas fight week we've got a few stored up which we're going to drop over of course it will probably be a fairly quiet August so it may be around about that kind of time by the time you hear this but we'll be back again soon so thanks very much for this thank you guys Someone sneaking round a corner. Could that someone be Mac the Knife? There's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know? Where a cement bag just. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.